0: If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to look at Luke chapter 7, uh, verses 18 through 23 here in just a couple of minutes. Many years ago in the uh, first church that Michelle and I attended as a married couple, our pastor made a pretty significant admission during one of his sermons. He admitted that earlier that week he had experienced a moment where he had questioned everything that he had always believed and taught to the point that he actually had a moment where he thought, I don't think it's true. I'm not even sure there's a God. He had given years of his life to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would certainly have been described by people as being someone strong in faith. And yet here he was with a moment where doubts flooded his mind to the point that he even questioned the existence of God. Now, thankfully, his doubt lasted very briefly, but doubt visited this man of strong faith. We'd probably like to convince ourselves otherwise, but even the strongest in faith sometimes wrestle with doubts, even to the point of questioning everything that they believe. I'm not saying everybody does, uh, but, but many people, even who have strong faith, get to those uh, moments. It doesn't always get to the place where they question the existence of God, though sometimes that happens as well. But many people who are strong in faith come to a point in time, maybe, maybe this happens multiple times throughout their lives, where their faith falters, and they're filled with questions and even doubts about God and about his dealings with mankind. I'm thankful that the Bible lets us see this happening in the lives of people in the Bible. Uh, you, you know, we see this happening with David, King David, you know, David of David and Goliath fame. Uh, several places in the Psalms, he seems uh, confused by God's dealings, uh, either by God's actions or more often by God's seeming inaction. And the 44th psalm is a psalm that shows this very clearly. David spends much of the 44th psalm questioning why God didn't come through for David the way that David desired for God to come through. And much of David's reasoning in the 44th psalm goes like this I would understand your inaction, God, if we had been unfaithful to you. But we've been faithful. Now, they weren't always faithful. So he's probably talking about a very brief period of time, like like most of us. But, But we've been faithful for the last eight minutes, and yet you did not come through like we hoped. And so throughout the 44th Psalm, he says things to God like, Awake, O Lord! Why do you sleep? Arouse yourself! Don't reject us forever! Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our misery and our oppression? Many Christians, even those we look to as examples of great faithfulness, have experienced seasons of great doubt. Sometimes these doubts arise during times that have been called dark nights of the soul. Which are times when our prayers seem ineffective, when our relationship with God loses an experiential component, we don't really feel His presence. It's kind of like the heavens are, are walled off from us. The presence of God is walled off from us. And sometimes Christians can experience this kind of situation for a long period of time. One of the more famous examples of "A Dark Night of the Soul uh, is Mother Teresa. It is reported that she struggled in this way, struggling to feel the presence of God from 1948 until very close to the time of her death in 1997. Nearly 50 years of struggle with only brief interludes of relief. None of us are quick to announce our doubts but if everyone here today even those who may be the strongest in faith would be completely transparent we would discover that many have had and maybe even some now are struggling with doubt perhaps doubting the goodness of God perhaps doubting the exclusiveness of the gospel message perhaps doubting whether God really cares. Maybe believing in God, but more God is the divine watchmaker. If you're not familiar with what that uh, phrase is, it, it's the view of God that it's like he, he created a watch and then he just lets it run on its own without, without his involvement. He created the world and then he just sets it in motion and then God goes and rests and the world just just runs. It runs on its own. He's not really that involved. Maybe some of you are struggling with that kind of doubt. God's not really involved. This is all just kind of going. Or, or maybe some of you are even doubting to the point that uh, even God's existence is being questioned. Today we're going to look at an example of doubt found in the scriptures. We're going to look at Luke chapter 7 verses 18 through 23 These verses give us the account of someone who was very strong in faith, John the Baptist, wrestling with doubt. And from these verses, I want to draw our attention to some of the reasons that doubt arises in our lives. And then I want us to consider from these verses what we should do when doubt arises. I want us to consider how we should respond when we find ourselves visited by doubt. And if you're not there now, there's a decent chance that you will be at some point. So don't say, hey, this doesn't apply to me. Listen and learn what we see in the scriptures. Put it to practice in your life. And when doubt does visit, you're going to be much better prepared. So let's read the text. Luke seven eighteen through 23. I'll read uh, you follow along as I do. John's disciples told him about all these things, the miraculous things that Jesus was doing. Is what he uh, told, told them about. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us here to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else at that very time Jesus cured many who had diseases sickness and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind so he replied to the messengers go back and report to John what you have seen and heard the blind receive sight the lame walk those who have leprosy are cured the deaf hear the dead are raised and the good news is preached to the poor blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Now, to understand what's going on here, I want to start by reminding us of a few things about John the Baptist. John's birth was foretold by an angel, by the angel Gabriel. Gabriel foretold that John, this man who has just expressed doubts Jesus, are you the one, or should we look for someone else? Gabriel foretold that John would be great in the sight of God, that he would bring many people in Israel back to the Lord, and that he would prepare the way for the ministry of Jesus. This is the John the Baptist that when Jesus came out to hear him preach, the fourth gospel records John as he sees Jesus approaching him, declaring, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he goes on and he tells the gathered people, this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I saw the Spirit come down out of heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now listen to what John said when Jesus came out to him. He said, I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. This John we read about in verses 18 through 23 is proclaimed in Scripture as great in the sight of God. It was foretold that he would be used to turn people back to God. It was foretold that he would be used to prepare the way for Jesus This John proclaimed Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Proclaimed Jesus the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Proclaimed Jesus the Son of God. And I just read it from the fourth gospel. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. It is this same John who sends his disciples to inquire of Jesus, are you the one or should we expect someone else? John Strong in faith, but visited by doubt. Struggling with doubt. Now, there have been explanations that have been put forward that have attempted to explain John's question here as something other than doubt. Uh, Some have suggested that it wasn't John, but his disciples who were doubting. And so John is simply asking for a friend. Others have suggested that John wasn't so much struggling with doubt as he was impatience. That he was in effect saying, come on Jesus, it's time to take some decisive action that you haven't taken yet. But I agree with William Barclay who writes, the simplest explanation is the best. By the way, you know that's pretty much always true. The simplest explanation is usually The best one. It's not always true, but it's usually the best one. So I agree with Barclay here. He says the simplest explanation is the best. John asked this question of Jesus because his circumstances had put tremors in his heart. What were the circumstances that John faced? As we consider the circumstances that caused doubt to surface in John, we're going to discover the circumstances that are often responsible for Causing doubt to visit us. First of all, it's very likely that John was dealing with some disillusionment. Disillusionment. He expected certain things from Jesus. And Jesus had not delivered the things that John expected. John likely expected the Messiah to establish a political kingdom on earth. He had expected the Messiah to deal harshly with evildoers. He expected the Messiah to drive out the Romans. He expected the Messiah to convert all the hypocritical Pharisees. He expected the Messiah to shake the foundations of society and to clean up the social and political mess of the day. And yet Jesus wasn't doing those things. He was hanging out at parties. He was enjoying the company of sinners. He was turning water into wine. He was teaching that rather than vanquishing our enemies, we are to love our enemies. And this isn't what John expected, not really what he wanted. So it's very likely that he was dealing with disillusionment that allowed for doubt to begin to take hold. And secondly, he was facing great adversity. He sent this question to Jesus from a jail cell. He was in prison at the time. So he's proclaimed the coming Messiah. He's spoken truth to power. He's announced not just the Messiah's coming, but that Messiah has come. And yet, John the Baptist is sitting in prison. Jesus, the promised Messiah... The deliverer is not delivering him from prison. In fact, John is going to end up beheaded. These two things, disillusionment and adversity, are likely what cause doubt to visit John. And these two things are often the cause of, uh, for doubt visiting us. And this can be true even for the strong In faith. Disillusionment and doubt can lead even those who are strong uh, in faith. Uh, Disillusionment and adversity can lead even the strong in faith to a place of doubt. Disillusionment. I raised my kids to honor God, but they are far from God. I've prayed for them for years, but they're still far from God. God, a parent may say, if you love my kids as much as I do, why has my investment not resulted in faith in their lives? Disillusionment. I prayed for healing for my friend, but she died at only 32 years of age. God, I've been taught all my life about your healing power, but when my friend needed your healing touch, she died instead. Sure, I know she's received ultimate healing. I've told myself that a hundred times, but God, she wanted to be healed in the here and now. She wanted to live. Those little kids shouldn't have had to say goodbye to their mother at such a young age. Disillusionment. All of my life, I've held onto the belief that God changes people and makes them better. But all the people who have hurt me the most have been the ones who claim to follow Jesus. I've been treated better and loved better by people who didn't claim to know Jesus at all than those who spout off about their relationship with him. Disillusionment. It can give rise to doubt. Adversity. No matter how hard we try, we can't seem to get ahead financially. Now I've lost my job, don't know what I'm going to do. God, I keep praying for help, but we keep struggling. Where are you? Adversity constant tension with my spouse is sucking the life out of me this is an example i'm not i'm not making an admission here today it's a it's it's an example (laughs) we've been married 10 years see we've been married 32 so this is Uh. this is a example we've been married 10 years and every one of them has been hard we don't see anything the same we don't agree on finances or how to raise kids god i'm trying to do the right thing here But can you help us out? How can I keep this up? Much longer. Adversity. Never been able to get the mean words that were spoken to me when I was a kid out of my head. Such hurtful things that were said. They impact my life to this very day. I've prayed and I've prayed. But God, I don't seem to be able to get any relief. These words have lodged in my spirit. They affect how I think about myself. No matter how many times I've prayed, I can't get relief. Adversity. Disillusionment, adversity, seem to have given rise to doubt in John the Baptist, even though he was a man of strong faith. And disillusionment and adversity are often the causes of doubt visiting us. And even those who are strong in faith are susceptible to doubt knocking on the door of their heart. And maybe that's the experience of some of you. Maybe it has been in the past, maybe this week, maybe today. Maybe doubt's been visiting you for a long time. So, when doubt visits, what should we do? How do we respond? Well, I want us to consider what John the Baptist did. Here's what he did he took his question, he took his doubt. Directly to Jesus. And David did much the same thing. Here's a really important key. David and John, both, neither one of them allowed their doubts to, to cause them to turn away from God. John sent the question to Jesus. David went directly to God. David took his doubts directly to God and cried out to God to answer him. And so my encouragement for how we should respond when we doubt is to take our doubts directly to Jesus. To talk to Him about our doubts about Him. Talk to Him about it. You see, we often think that we can't be honest with God. That, that even when doubts are pervading our thoughts, we have to act like we don't have them. You know God knows, right? You, you, you can act like you don't have a doubt, but God knows if you have a doubt. And, and when we do this, when we act as though we don't have any doubts, but we really do, it creates a dishonesty in our relationship with God that does great destruction to our ability to get through this season of doubt and come out on the other side still a person of faith. I mean let's face it what we often feel that leads to doubt is that in some way God has failed to come through for us that God has abandoned us and so if you place on top of those feelings the thought that you can't even be honest with God that is a powerfully destructive combination And so when doubts visit, when doubt visits, take them directly to Jesus. And when we do this, Jesus doesn't respond the way that we might expect. He doesn't rail against us for having doubt. He doesn't belittle us for being so weak. He responds with compassion and he gives us evidence to reassure us if we're willing to see it. If we're willing to see it this is how Jesus responded to John if you notice in our text Jesus did not chastise John he did not complain about how awful it was that John had a question he didn't send back a message that said tell John I can't believe that he asked me this Tell John I'm really disappointed in his lack of faith. No, there was no chastisement. And I think it's because, and Scripture makes this very clear, God understands our frame. He understands our makeup. He created us. He he understands how weak we are. He understands how much we don't understand. He understands that from our perspective, sometimes his actions or his seeming inaction, doesn't look right to us. God understands this. We don't have his perspective, and so we don't understand. He knows this. And so he's very patient with us. And so instead of chastising John, he answers John. He provides them with evidence to strengthen his faltering faith. It says in verse 22, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. The Old Testament had prophesied that Messiah would do all of those things. And so Jesus performing these things that the Old Testament had prophesied concerning Messiah offered divine affirmation of Jesus' mission and ministry of his person. Now this may not have been what John expected to hear. He probably wanted to hear something like this. Tell John that my armies are amassing and the Roman government will soon fall if you will just be patient. Well, that's not what he heard. The answer came, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cured, good news is preached to the poor, all things prophesied of Messiah. And John knew these prophecies. And so, even though it wasn't the answer that he would have picked, it was an affirmative answer to his question. And so, Jesus is in effect saying to John, Yes, John, I'm the one. You do not need to look for someone else. Listen, God can handle our questions, God can handle our doubt. He'll respond with compassion. He'll point us to evidence. It may not be the evidence that we would pick, but he will give us evidence to answer our doubts if we are willing to see it and if we are willing to back off of the evidence that we've been demanding. He'll give us evidence, but it may not be the evidence that we were demanding. So let me share some important ways for us to respond When doubt visits, things that can be helpful for us to keep in mind when we find doubts arising. Four important things, and you see them at work uh, in our text today. First, when doubt visits, we have to be willing to look beyond our own circumstances. You just have to be willing to do this. If you only look at your own circumstances, there's a decent chance, sometimes, some seasons of life, that doubt is going to persist. John was in prison, and John was soon to be beheaded. I mean, that's the way it was going to go for him. If he had decided to hinge his acceptance of Jesus as Messiah on what happened to him personally, doubt would have overwhelmed him. And he would have very likely... Rejected Jesus. But what John had to be willing to do. Was accept that even though his circumstance wasn't the way that he wanted. Even though Jesus wasn't going to deliver him from the hand of Herod. Even though those things were true. Outside of the prison that he was in. There was a lot going on that validated Jesus as Messiah. Things may be bad for you right now. Things might be hard for you for a long time. Some of us, our entire lives may just be a grind. But if you look beyond your own circumstances, if you'll raise your head and look out beyond yourself, you'll see ample evidence to support your faith in jesus secondly when doubt visits we have to accept that god will not always act or respond the way that we would choose in fact we should settle in our minds while our faith is strong this truth even before a doubt visits we should we should settle this god will not always act or respond the way that we would choose made this point a couple of times already. John would have chosen an earthly kingdom for Jesus. He would have chosen the overthrow of the Romans. But he had to accept that God's kingdom was coming much differently than he had thought it would. He had to adjust his expectations in the light of God's will and Christ's mission in the earth. We have to adjust our thinking. To God's plan. There are so many things that I can think of that if I were God, I would do them differently. In a way, that sounds awful, but it's just true. If I were God, I would do a lot of things differently. A lot more people would be dead, I can tell you that. Okay, not a lot, a few, just a few. But God is God and I am not. And here's something that you need to embrace. God is God and you are not. He's God. He knows all things. He knows how it all began. Those questions that none of us can answer. You know, you can, you can always reach a point where you can't answer the question anymore how the earth began? God created it. No, God didn't. I mean, there's this debate that rages in our, in our world. But you know, you get beyond that debate, like, what about before that? There's always a question you cannot answer. God knows how it all began. He knows exactly where history is leading us. He knows exactly how he'll wrap it all up. And how he's going to establish his eternal kingdom. He'll do it according to his plan, not my plan and not your plan. And we can help our faith tremendously if we just forever settle this truth in our minds. God is God and I'm not. He'll do what he knows is best, not what I think is best. Third, When doubt visits, we need to recommit to God's mission and stop expecting God to join our mission. Here's what our mission often is. And I speak about this from personal experience. Total comfort for ourselves. Never a financial worry. Plenty of vacation time. A boss who loves us and tells us how wonderful we are all the time. Lots and lots of free time, nice cars that always work, good friends who always affirm us and never challenge us, the ability to eat anything we want and not gain weight, Sunday services that are inspirational and make up for all we did not invest in our relationship with God during the week, but short at the same time. Accomplish a lot, Brian or whoever's preaching this week, provide for me everything I didn't invest this week, and you got 27 minutes to do it, or we're going to start thinking, man, little long, these services, the ability to serve without it actually being very costly, and we could go on and on and on. This is the kind of mission that we often have for ourselves, and we want God to serve our mission. But God is not about our mission. God is about His mission. I absolutely believe that God wants good things for His children. And while I think God is pleased when we enjoy life and we're able to celebrate the goodness of life and, and we experience His favor even in immaterial in ways, His mission is not our personal comfort. His mission is the reconciliation of all things to himself. His mission is his glory, not our comfort. His mission is his glory, not your comfort, not my comfort. And so purpose today to join God's mission, don't expect him to join yours. When we settle this in our minds, it helps us tremendously when doubt pays us a visit. In fact, this can go a long way at keeping doubt from visiting us. John had to embrace that Jesus was about God's mission and carrying it out in God's way. He wasn't fulfilling John's preference for driving out the Romans and establishing an earthly kingdom. And we will go a long way in keeping disillusionment and adversity and adversity from leading us to doubt if we'll just embrace that life for the Christian is about God's mission and not our own. And fourth, taking it to an even more fundamental level, and this is really, in a way, just a restatement of what I just said, we have to embrace the truth that it's not about me. I have to embrace the truth that it's not about me. You have to embrace the truth that it's not about you. Jesus was bringing the kingdom of God While John was sitting in prison. John had done his part. He had already fulfilled what God had for him to do. But God's mission was so much bigger than John. It wasn't about John. It was about Jesus. Rick Warren sold 21 million copies of The Purpose Driven Life. The book opened with this line, It's not about you. 21 million people read the book, applauded the book, and then many of us went back to living like it really is about us. Something we have to do if we want to avoid disillusionment, if we want to face adversity well, if we want to avoid doubt, or if we want to prevent doubt from progressing to unbelief, we have to embrace the truth that it's not about us. Your life isn't about you. It's about Him and bringing Him glory. That's what it's about. Friends, God can handle your honest questions. He can handle your honest doubt. He will respond with compassion. He'll provide you with evidence if you're willing to see it. If you're willing to look beyond your own circumstances for all of us who have been visited by doubt and even for those of us who are facing doubt right now today in this very moment I have some really encouraging news for you today the story of John's question to Jesus lets us know that even those of us who doubt can still be commended by God. We can still be commended. The doubt doesn't put us on the bad list. God will still commend us. Verses 24 through 35 of Luke 7, which we didn't take the time to read, but they basically amount to Jesus commending John the Baptist even though John had just sent a question that was expressing doubt. Jesus says of John the Baptist in those verses, what did you go out into the desert to see? What did Those of you who went to hear John preach, what did you go out to see? A reed swayed by the wind, a man dressed in fine clothes. Now some people have thought that Jesus was chastising John with this reed swayed in the wind line, but It probably should be taken literally just as the reference to fine clothes should be taken literally so what Jesus is probably just saying here is did you go out to John to see beautiful scenery or someone dressed in nice clothes is that what you went to see and then Jesus answered what they went to see when they went out to John you went to see a prophet but more than a prophet Jesus then reminds them what was foretold about John I will send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. And then Jesus goes on in verses 24 through 35, and he utters this line of the man who had just expressed doubt about who he was. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. John, strong in faith, but visited by doubt jesus answered and reassured his faltering faith he still commended him and said there was no one greater this lets us know that jesus can handle our honest questions he can handle our doubt he understands that sometimes we don't understand he'll respond with compassion he'll provide the evidence if we're willing to look at it if we're willing to see it if we're willing to look beyond ourselves He asks us to join his mission and to accept that it's not about us. And if we can do that, if we can join his mission, if we can accept it's not about us, disillusionment can be avoided, adversity and honest questions, and even those seasons of doubt will not lead us to a place of unbelief. And so this is how we respond when doubt visits, how we keep doubt from leading to unbelief and how we receive God's commendation, even though doubt sometimes visits even the strongest in faith. Why don't you stand?